Starting, scaling, and exiting a business is hard. So why do some companies achieve seven, eight, and nine-figure exits, while others struggle to reach six figures in revenue? To answer these questions, we sit down with top entrepreneurs who have exited for more than $10 million or currently run $10 million-plus businesses and grill them until they share their proven tactics and strategies. Welcome to Beyond Eight Figures. Annually, and we try to get to the nuts and bolts and really figure out here the tools and tactics and shortcuts and strategies that they leverage to reach that pinnacle. Uh, and in some cases, uh, you know, way beyond. Uh, and I will tell you this, after watching um, what's going on with Jeff Bezos in the world there, I think that the best way to reach eight figures is to uh, marry a billionaire and then divorce his ass. Because uh, <laughs> clearly, that's a pretty fast way to get to, to eight figures. And, that was 25 uh, and, years, though. And beyond. So on average, what'd she make a year then? If she's going <laughs> to walk with $68 billion or whatever it will be, that's not a bad Jeez. ROI. And how bad was the relationship? I would have stayed married to him for 25 right? years if I was getting that kind of ROI on it. My Just Lord. Just give him a jet and stay home and do your own thing. Yeah, no prenup <laughs> on that bad boy. So there you have it. So if you're going to start an eight-figure business, or at least you have plans to, uh, think about a prenup before you uh, jump too far down that path. I'm sure our guest today, Mark, Mark Evans, will have some insight around that. Mark, uh, you got some insight on whether or not we need a prenup? Marry the right one. <laughs> just, marry, just marry the right one. Yeah, because hey, that's the always the, the plan. Yeah, they, got, they got to put up with us, so they deserve something. So yeah, they definitely deserve something. But just marry the right one. Doesn't everyone say that going in? Marry the right one. Well, I did. I married the right one until you she did. wasn't. Well, no, I'm, I'm my, Yes, I did the second time. Oh, I didn't know you were married once before. I was before. married once before. Very short oh. there, like two and a half years when I was very young. Uh, enough about my personal life, Mark. How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Really, really, really good, man. So, Mark Evans, good to have you here with us. And uh, let's just get this out of the way. Uh, do you meet the criteria, man? Do you did you exit uh, a business for more than ten million dollars, or do you currently run a business or businesses that gross more than ten million annually? Yeah, I actually have several companies that do uh, over ten million a year. So, for me, it's uh, I don't know what I would do if I sold them. I'd get in mm -hmm. trouble. That's what I would do. Mm -hmm. And and uh, can you give us a sense of what those businesses are generating on an annual basis and what industries they're in? Uh, well, one in the real estate investing industry. I mean, I've been doing that for 22 years, so that's about 30, about 32, 35 million a year in gross revenue. Mm -hmm. um, again, all this stuff is very skewed, right? Because real estate's a very heavy product in prices. So. Um, and then uh, we have a pretty big online media company that does eight figures a year. Mm -hmm. And what is the online media company? What does it do? And what, what yeah. is it a training company? No, no, no. I don't do any training on that side. Okay. We do uh, email marketing. So we, you know, we have a bunch of financial newsletter services that pay us a lot of money to send out emails. Um, and we have, we're a very heavy content provider to the email marketing space. Mm -hmm. And did, and that's doing about how much annually? Uh, about twelve million a year. About twelve. Yeah, nice man. And on the real estate side, just so I'm clear, do you is the thirty five? Are you factoring that based on the value of the real estate or based on gross rent receipts? Or how are you how are you coming Sells. to that number? That's how we. That's how much we sell. Oh, I see. So you're you're buying properties and then you're selling those properties and mm -hmm. and okay, interesting. So. Let, let's do this because I, I want to go back to the embryonic stages. The, in, when you look at the, the – was that real estate investing business, was that the first real business that you started? 22 years ago, 18 yeah. years old, absolutely. 22 years ago. You're, okay, wow. So you're 40 years old right now, and you got two eight-figure-plus businesses. That's awesome. Congrats on all of that. So at 22, what did you know about real estate? 
Uh, well, at 18? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, 22 years in at, at 18. Yeah. Right. What did you well, know? Well, I, I knew I was never going to go to college. I knew I grew up with no money. And I wanted to figure out how to make a lot of money. And I met a lot of dumb people in real estate that had a lot of money. Mm. Um, not everybody, but most people. And uh, it, to me, real estate was the equalizer of uh, lack of education, but hard work and ethic, you know, hard work ethic. So I discovered how to do real estate with no money, no credit, and uh, just started growing from there. So where, this is Mary, where did you start doing this? Which city or state? Col- yeah, Columbus, Ohio. Mm. So 22 years, uh, yeah, 22 years ago. So that would put you right around the time of CompuServe and so on, trying to, to really blow up in, in that market. Did you take advantage of some of what was going on there in the, in the tech road and a lot of the growth in Columbus? Oh, I, I have no clue what any of that means back then. <laughs> Listen, I was, just, I was just trying to get out of my parents' house back then. You know, I, just, I literally did my first deal two days after high school. So I, I was just looking for a way to get up, get out, and uh, make some money and you know, like I said, uh, figure out how to do it at a big level. Mm-hmm. Did you have a mentor or someone you were working with at the time, or were you just doing the no money down stuff out of necessity because you had no money? You're talking like Carlton Sheets or something? Yeah, I mean, like right. yeah, well, some listen, I, I, or... anybody in real estate back then has bought Carlton Sheets multiple times, right? Yeah. Um, and then uh, Russ Whitney as well. He was uh, pretty big. He was on TV. I went to one of his seminars and I saw him make a phone call. I was like, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went and did it. Because what I saw a lot of people talking about it, but no one ever actually went out and did it. Um, I actually had to do it because I had no other choice. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you know? l- let me just get clarity then around where you're at right now as far as your the, the real estate business. Then we can get into the other business uh, shortly hereafter. But do you have employees for the real estate business or is this just uh, just kind of a, a buy and, and, and hold or a buy and sell? Or I just want to get a sense of the of the organization. Yeah, no. I mean, I see a lot of people call themselves they have a business, but they don't have employees, so right. they just have a high-paying job, right? Yep. Um, I've actually been a non-active CEO in that company for a little over five years now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I have real, I have a real team. I have real COOs, CFOs, sales organization, grounds crews, all that fun stuff. So we buy and sell on the wholesale market. We have a big retail division market, and we also have a rental portfolio market. So. It's uh, there's a lot of moving pieces with real estate. It's a very heavy cash intensive. And, you know, ultimately I, I transitioned from real estate investing and now become a money manager because that's really what we're doing. It's just real estate's our product. Mm-hmm. And that means you're you're taking in. So did you raise a fund or something of that nature so that you're investing other people's money or what? How what, what are you doing there? Yeah, no, I, I actually, for me, that's not kind of my core ability or unique ability. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've just, you know, bootstrapped it and grew it myself and used my own money, um, a little bit of private money um, independently, not fund style, um, and kept it pretty small. I mean, mm-hmm. the truth is we could be way bigger if we did all that, but I don't necessarily think you make more money being bigger sometimes on certain levels. Yeah, and, and it really boils down, and this is a question that I ask uh, of my private clients, is what do you want versus yep. what it is that you actually need? And I mean, I'm kind of reading between the lines here and from what I've been able to do. And so far as a bit of research about you, I mean, it looks like you have everything that you need at this point in your life. So what what still motivates you? Oh, well, first of all, I mean, I'm excited to be alive. Right. So I'm a lifestyle guy. First and foremost, you know, I have a wife. I have a three and a half year old kid, another one on the way in April. Uh, What motivates me is knowing that I'm I'm just getting started. So um, I'll be on the point of like, okay, yeah, well, let's wake up and make money. And now it's more, let's make an impact. Um, you know, I think a lot of times we're kind of, we're gifted at a high level 
been tapped on the shoulder to like build a legacy to a whole nother level. And uh, I, I, like I said, I really feel like I haven't done anything and I'm just getting started. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and with all due respect, I mean, that leaving a legacy and impact and this, that, and the other, I mean, they, they've kind of become like these kind of empty phrases, so to speak, if you will. What, what does that actually mean to you? Yeah, what that means to me is actually I grew up, you know, everyone in my I've never known anybody made over 50000 a year, right? So for me, leaving a legacy and making an impact starts with my family. I want to, you know, like 2,500 years from now, I want them to say, wow, my, you know, whatever <laughs> grandfather broke the cycle of poverty in our world and, uh, you know, educate them. It's not just about money. It's about education you know, giving them goals and like helping them. I I do this with my nieces and all that as well right now. Mm -hmm. And then on the company, you know, and my employees, man, I I love these guys to death. Um, I think about them. I think about how to pay them more, how we can do more, how they can give back more. So I'm always looking at just getting, you know, how do we do something bigger than what we are as an independent person, as a group. Mm -hmm. So take us back then. You're an 18 year old kid. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I look back at what I was at 18 and, you know, I mean, you're a kid, no matter how you slice. It. I look at my 15 year old now and I'm, it's a kid. Right. So 18 years old, you're, you're just out of high school. Did you actually graduate high school? 1.8. Absolutely. Nice, man. <laughs> Living large. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Living large. Uh, obviously, as you said, you didn't go on to, uh, to college after that. But 18, you know, you, you graduate from high school. You're looking at this. You're saying, hey, I can I can actually do a deal. Step us through that first deal. Like, how did you yeah. get that first deal done? What was it? What happened to it? Just step us through the very first deal. If we're looking at the, because Beyond Eight Figures is all about starting, scaling, and exiting, right? And you're going to be somewhere uh, in one of those three categories. So right now we're going to talk about the start phase. So sure. take us through that first deal when you're just starting out. How did you do it? Yeah, well, I mean, again, I, it's either fight or flight, right? So... I think for me, I, I don't even remember the 100% of the details, but I, back then, these are newspaper days. So when we had to learn, we actually had to go to a library, get a real book, mm-hmm. and read a newspaper. So, you know, how people used to sell houses is through the, the newspaper, Sunday Dispatch, sure. in Columbus. So I would get the Sunday Dispatch, and I would call every single seller in that thing. And then I found a guy that was motivated. He was actually a, a police officer. He was great at buying and fixing up, but he was terrible at selling. We come to that conclusion. And I put an option on the property, just a contract to purchase, and with the intent of knowing that I'm just going to take that option and sell it for a fee and uh, my interest, and that's called wholesaling. Um, and I put a dollar down because you got to put something down to make it a legal binding contract. And I messed up every which way, sh- <laughs> every yeah. way you could max the deal up, um, but I stuck with it and uh, pushed through, and I ended up making about 15 grand on that deal. Um, and I have no clue how I did it except that I did it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, so just just, and mm-hmm. just so people are clear here, what you're saying is you go to a homeowner or this was a single family home? This was actually a single family home, but this was an investor trying to sell a single family home himself. So an investor trying to sell a single family home, you go to that, uh, that owner and you basically put the, 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 the house under contract Mm-hmm. Are you under obligation to close at that point, or are you sort of in the contingency period? Well, I mean, again, any any contract, this isn't anything in life, right? I think you should be going in with the intent to close and hold up your end of the bargain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, unless, you know, the inspections, clauses, or whatever yeah. um, determine not to. But yeah, I mean, I was, you know, again, I put the deal together with the intent of an option. So 
I'm putting no money. I'm putting a dollar down and I'm going to find a renter for 700 a month and my payments 500 a month. And I'm buying it for, I'm, I'm going to, I'm optioning it for 70,000 and selling it for 85,000, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. So how, and how does that work exactly when you talk about wholesale versus retail? Obviously, if you can pick up a single family home for 70 K Mm-hmm. But the retail on it is eighty five k. I mean, it's just it's it's business one hundred and one. You you buy low and you sell high. But if you could sell it for eighty five k, how come the owner can't or well, doesn't want to? Well, again, there's that's why there's wholesale people and wholes- in every industry there's wholesalers. Why don't they open a storefront and sell retail? Because it's a different skill set. It's a different it's a different business model. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do you, you know? fi- how do you find those deals though? Call. <laughs> they're everywhere. The, um, again, you just call people. I mean, the thing is, is, you know, it's like anything you buy something, it's sitting in your garage. You bought it for a hundred dollars. You don't want to put it out for sale. You throw it in the trash. You put it out for sale. You sell it for $50. You make $50. It's $50. You weren't going to get, you just wholesale a bike that you didn't want that you're going to throw away. So it's, it's more, a lot of times people think all this stuff's just about money. It's really about solving a problem for the individual that you're talking to. Hmm. So do you kind of follow some formula with, uh, what was it, like the three Ds, the death, divorce, divorce and, debt. and debt? Do you kind of like, follow, like, is there something, you know, you owe? Initially, yeah, initially we did. I don't, we, honestly, our company don't really deal a whole lot with death and divorce because it's kind of a negative environment and our team's a little bit more positive. There's a lot of opportunity in there, but the cycle, sell cycle, the buy cycle of those kind of deals are very intense and long. Um, and we're more of a churn and burn. We're more looking for investor to investor, kind of like a B2B style. Um, one, you know, they're like, Hey, I'm just moving my money. Just give me a deal. I want to close it and move on. It's not just about, I need every last penny. It's the only deal I have of my life, you know, kind of thing. Um, so we don't have to fight with, you know, the heirs of the property, the three kids that hate each other that want every penny for each, you know, whatever. So, but the, you know, debt and most honestly, where we're at in our career now is most of these deals are cash. Everyone pays cash. So they're more looking for b- bigger opportunities. They might have bought a single-family house in Columbus, Ohio, for forty thousand. It's worth seventy now. They just want to liquidate it, take the money, ten thirty into something bigger. So when you say they're everywhere, but they're mm-hmm. obviously not retail, so they're not in a storefront and they don't have a sign out front. But you say mm-hmm. call them. Where there's there's mm-hmm. a missing link there somewhere. Where where sure. do you find? Where do you get those your leads? phone numbers to call? Do you yeah. get lists from banks that don't want to be in the real estate business, or where do you find no. them? Yeah, no, direct mail. That's the answer, right? So, and, and everyone has a sign in their yard, typically on the kind of deals we're going off of. The sign is overgrown grass, newspapers stacked up on the front porch, windows busted or boarded up, city official issues going on, you know, like code violations, if you will, evictions. Mm-hmm. Those are good leads for us. Mm -hmm. So what happens is, you know, we direct mail. So, you know, like realtors, they blanket markets, you know, like, hey, Susie Johnson just sold the house down the street. Mm -hmm. We're more we're more particular. We know where we like to buy and what our investors are buying in. So we'll we'll get down onto the zip code and then we'll we'll start dissecting three bedroom, one bath. Um, They've owned it for five years plus. They own it free and clear, blah, 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 blah. I mean, all this data is available. It's public record. And then we buy that data. And we put it into a, um, a marketing environment, direct mail and such, mm-hmm. and we send it out and the phones start lighting up. <laughs> so, so your company is one of those companies that, like I get an envelope a week from somebody saying, hey, if you're interested in selling your house, we're your guy, like kind of thing, like, or, 
you know, sure. or, I have a buyer for your property. I have a buyer for your property or, or something of that nature. Yeah. Is that, yeah, we don't say we have a buyer. We are, we are the buyers of every property. Mm-hmm. Typically if they said they have a buyer, they're agents. Um, that's an agent broker kind of conversation, but we typically say, you know, something to the effect of like, Hey, we're, we're interested in buying your property. We own properties in this neighborhood. I notice you own one, two, three, any town street. If you're an investor, if you're looking to sell, we'd love to talk to you one-on-one. Mm-hmm. So going then back to, all right, I made 15 grand on this. It's like, wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, an 18 year old kid making 15 oh, grand we're and we're talking, you know, 22 years ago, yeah. that's, you know, that's, that's real money. Right. So your appetite is wet at this juncture. You do what with that? Do you roll that into another deal? Like what happens next? Well, I do what every 18 year old kid do go blow it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> He's like, so, I spent a dollar. I mean, listen, it's, the most money I, it's the most money I ever saw in my life. So, yeah. you know, I went out and blew most of it. I, I think I kept three or four grand and you know what I actually did. I actually hired a mentor, um, with the money, as well. So it was like three or four grand. I paid him and then I blew the rest kind of on just stupid stuff because I didn't know what else to do. Keep in mind, like when I started, I had never had a financial mentor. I didn't know that was a thing. Mm-hmm. So having a lot of money, that 15 grand was a lot of money to me back then. Yeah. I The only thing I knew what to do with it is what I saw everyone else around me do is just waste money and blow it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was something that took me a while to figure out. Nearly went bankrupt twice doing that. Never did, but nearly did. Um, just, and then I started figuring out, I have to get a financial mentor to help guide me through these, uh, this journey. Yeah. Did you have a support system? I mean, were you, were you like, you talk about filing bankruptcy in your early twenties or whatever it may have been at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you have a fallback? Uh, I mean, was there anything to fall back on? No, not at all. No. I mean, listen, I nearly went bankrupt. I didn't go bankrupt, but mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of times people are looking for ways out instead of ways in. Um, including relationships like Bezos' wife, maybe. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm not looking for outs. I, if I'm in, I'm in. And um, I'm kind of loyal to a fault sometimes, I've been told. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I'm committed, man, I'm uh, I'm, I'm all in. <laughs> yeah, There's no other options. But I think talk- sometimes people have too many options. But you talk about finding a mentor and oh, needing true. someone to really help you with that. So, it, again, reading between the lines, it doesn't sound like your parents were entrepreneurs or anyone that you really knew – was an entrepreneur. It doesn't sound like, I mean, they probably had very limited means. Just uh, again, you haven't said that, but I think that's what you're saying. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. No, listen, I, I, I think I, my, my dad was always, you know, being an entrepreneur, I'm not saying successful or not, you know, like one day he's making money next week. He's not right. Mm-hmm. So the only time I ever saw my parents really fight was about money. Um, my parents are amazing people. They work really hard to get what they have. And you know, they did an awesome job that department, but financially it was just always tough. Mm-hmm. So I always saw that. And I just, I, I was like, there's gotta be a better way. Like there's rich people out there. Why can't it be me? Mm-hmm. Honestly, that's kind of used to, I, I thought that I thought about that when I was 10 years old, mm-hmm. you know? So I never read a real book until I, I turned like 17. I read think and grow rich and just kind of started thinking like, you know, there's other people out there that want to help you. Mm-hmm. Kind of the rich dad, poor dad, I you know, kind yeah. of approach to it, if you will. So Second deal, third deal, how does all this happen? And then when does this actually become a living, breathing entity? Yeah, I mean, my first deal, you know, again, it was, um, I, I, I learned how to just buy and hold, right, after that. So, like, that first deal was just kind of like a fluke, I thought. Like, there's no way it could ever happen again that easy, um, even though it took six weeks. But for me, it was more of like, how do I 
you know, make residual, everyone wants cash, you know, mailbox money, right? Cash flow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was buying a lot of rentals. That's what almost caused me bankruptcy because rentals is, are great when they're performing and paying, but when they don't pay, that's when there's problems lurking. Yeah. So that's why I know what motivated sellers look like. Cause I used to be one, mm-hmm. um, in a big way. <clears throat> so at one point in my life, I had 30 something bench warrants for my arrest because the city, you know, if you, if the property starts deteriorating, um, the city starts fining you. And they start finding you. You got to show up for court. If you don't show up for court, they throw out a bench warrant. Um, they're not coming looking for you, but if you get picked up, it's not going to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it just—I I was a bad manager. I was great at acquiring, but just became a terrible manager. And I, this is a journey. This is like a six-year time frame. By tw- by the time I was like, you know, twenty-three, twenty-four-ish, I really realized, like, oh my gosh, I have to create cash and cash flow to run a real successful business. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was just a high paying job. Honestly, it wasn't even a business at this point. It was just a high paying job, um, that I, you know, worked for a maniac myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had a team, I always had an assistant or someone beside me helping me. Cause I was never, I'm never, I'm terrible at paperwork and all that. So I always kind of understood the power of hiring people for your weaknesses. Uh, just never had a lot of means to do so until I started really understanding it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then 2005, I had, you know, my grandmother passed away October 8th and I saw her die right in front of my eyes. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like this is all life is to be. I was 27 years old. I was doing well, but I'm like, I was a workaholic and I loved it. So I'm not knocking. I, I absolutely loved it. But my girlfriend and then I looked at each other and we kind of traveled and, you know, we'd, took a one month trip, which turned into seven years around the world. And that's when the business really started growing. Mm -hmm. And so let's talk for a minute about, because finding the deals Mm -hmm. is, is hard. I don't care what business you're in. If you're, I mean, you can call it finding a deal. If you're in real estate, you can call it closing a deal. If you're trying to sell, you know, we've had people on the show sell ink toner. I mean, like, you know, printer toner, whatever. Right. So it doesn't matter what, what phrase you use to talk about closing the sale you have to ask enough times in order to find people to say yes. Take, take us through kind of what it takes in your mind to stay the course and persevere and just knock on enough doors. Because it seems like that's been a pretty big reason for your success is just being willing to ask questions and mm-hmm. ask of people to do something that maybe others just aren't willing to do. Well, I, 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 and I have a lot of salespeople and, you know, they tell me it's hard. I don't believe any of this is hard. Hard is going to work every day, working in a coal mine from what I saw everyone do in my life. You know, that's like real hard. So, you know, I think, I think the people in the world have really been sissified by thinking things are supposed to be easy. What's easy and what is hard in general is kind of very relative, right? To the situation. I can tell you what's hard is by watching your parents fight, not having money, not knowing you're even that poor because you're just surrounded by poor people everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Mentally, financially, and all that. Um, so for me, like I, I, to me, I was just out there to serve people. I wanted to hear and help them, and you know, listen to them. And if I have a solution, I'll give it. You know, we'll have a solution. So I personally think this is these. I, I think business in general, we overcomplicate simplicity. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, if you listen and you serve, I think I think ultimately it'll pay off. I mean, it's it's an interesting approach, especially from the real estate side of the equation, right? Because when you think about it, when you go in with the, oh, I'm going to get a great deal and I'm going to pick this up for a million, I'm going to flip it for a million too, and, you know, or whatever that is, right? Then it's just like, I'm always thinking about me, me, me. And your approach is really interesting from the standpoint of, 
here's someone who has a million dollar property mm-hmm. and for whatever reason they're burdened, for whatever reason they're just struggling. I mean, what whatever is going on in their life, you're you're going in with the mentality of I want to actually help this person. It's sure. not even about a matter of helping yourself. I mean, that's a byproduct of what happens, but it's like the hunt for you. It's just such an interesting, unique perspective. The hunt for you is finding people who you can help and you can serve by letting them out of whatever that obligation is. For sure. I I mean, I think the biggest misconception about sales is that you're taking advantage of people, right? And and thinking the product sells is the person you negotiate with. We're dealing with humans. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I'm I'm having conversations with humans that actually have an asset that we could help help provide a valuable service to them. Mm -hmm. If it works, great. If it doesn't, that's fine, too, because I have 72 other calls to make today to someone else that I can help. And, um, you know, so we're very conscious of that. And not only that is like at the end of the day, you know, if it's not a good deal for all parties, it's not a good deal for any of us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it it is what it is. And, you know, there's a lot there's many opportunities in the space for sure. Yeah. And it's interesting, right? I mean, one of the rules of certainly in online marketing, and you're very familiar with online marketing. What's the name of the online marketing business, by the way? Cashflow Lead Gen. Cashflow Lead Gen, yeah. So you're very familiar with the online world. You know, one of the things that they talk about in terms of being able to to close a sale is having uh, a sense of urgency, having a, a limiter, if you will, just, you know, I can only do this for X number of people, right? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You have kind of a built-in limiter, a little bit of a built-in sense of urgency, too, in your approach here, because you don't have unlimited funds. You don't have this massive, you know, you're not SoftBank. You don't have a, you know, a $15 billion vision fund, right? So, you know, reality is you can probably only do 20 deals a year or or whatever that number works out to be, depending on, obviously, what the price point is. So does that ever come into play in, in the conversation? Not really, honestly. I mean, I, you know, keep in mind our average product seventy thousand dollars. Our average house. Okay. So, you know, we have a very high volume business. Um, Mm. You know, there's always ways around it. There, you know, it's not once you buy something it goes away. I mean, you buy it, it churns, it repeats, and buys and grows, and you know all that stuff. So, at the end of the day, for me, it's you know. I, but again, I start with lifestyle first. Everything we're talking, what you just said to me, I heard work, 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 corporate, corporate, corporate. That's all corporate style conversation that I never had with my team, nor will I ever. I'm not into it. If I can wake up and do what I want and the team can grow and, it, and the money's there and the deals are flowing, you know, the money will always follow the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're not trying to be huge. We're, everyone's very virtual, lifestyle driven. You know, they're not trying to make $5 million a day. They're very comfortable making their six figure a year, keeping it simple and having a good life. I need you to dive deeper on that. So when you're saying I'm having a corporate conversation with you and that's a typical type of conversation, you're saying you have basically the, the, the antithesis of what I just did is what you do in your business, right? With your people and with your team. So what I just need to understand because there's a lot of folks who look at it I would think in that typical corporate perspective, what, what exactly are you suggesting? I'm just suggesting like, you're like, you know, talking about the 15 billion, this, and you know, the fund managers, like a lot of these words is like, you're looking at, you know, based on what you're saying is like, 
when I'm looking at a complex, I'm not looking how do I buy the land, raw land, develop it, get 500 investors at a million apiece and do X, Y, and Z and be the biggest guy in town with this one complex and make or break the comp. You know, I'm not a toll brothers, if you will, or whatever, nor do I want to be ever. Like, it's not like I've never wanted that. I've always was chasing lifestyle, not money. Knowing money gives you the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And if you, as you guys know, once you make so much money every month, it, you almost it, like, I don't need any more, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, unless you just want to totally be wasteful. I have multiple houses, multiple cars. And if I have too much money, I just keep buying more multiple of stuff that I don't even need more of. Yeah. So I just you know, watched, uh, me, just watched a yeah. Floyd Mayweather video where he was talking about he's going on vacation for 30 days. He's got these two huge silver briefcases with these big old locks on them. He's like, yeah, one watch for every day of my vacation. They're like $30 million <laughs> watch. It's like, Jesus oh, Christ. More money than brains. What were you going to say, Richie? Well, I was just going to ask. I mean, I'm sure you would find a way regardless based on your mentality. You say you're all in and you'd, you'd figure out. But, um, you know, it's $75,000 average house. I'm wondering how much of the way you do things and the way you like to do things is based on the market you chose to. Because, I mean, man, it's like that's 10 houses for the cost of one house out here. Sure. Well, again, but it's also 10 times the amount of profit as it is our houses. So there is both sides of the story on that, right? Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of buddies that do a lot of deals in California, just like I do in my market. Their volume might not be as high, but their profits are very in line with where we're at. Um, You know, so it's a different animal. My lead to get a deal might be 2,500. Their lead to get a deal is 25,000. So the metrics multiply in, you know, both sides, depending on what they're doing. I'm more of a you know, that's just the market I grew up in. So it's not like I chose it. It kind of chose me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done this successfully, by the way, I've coached a lot of people in every market in the country, um, big markets that is. So like the San Diego's, you know, the LA's and all that stuff. But yeah, there, I mean, there's, it all, it, it all works out. You know, the numbers do percentage wise. Mm-hmm. You're, I mean, you, you, do a lot of training. I've seen a lot of your videos and, you know, you do a lot of motivational, a lot of inspirational, a lot of, you know, just obviously business fundamentals, et cetera. So it kind of runs the gamut there. I know you've got a, uh, a pretty, um, let's just say important perspective uh, around the power of decision-making. Can, can you speak a little bit to how that has impacted your success as an entrepreneur, just uh, the, the whole decision-making process? Yeah, I mean, I, I well, it depends on what decision making. I mean, for me, making a decision, I'm gonna take a piece of paper, make a line in it, go left. I think what is that? The I forget his name, Benjamin Franklin style, right? Mm-hmm. Left the benefits on the right, you know, the not so benefits, and mm-hmm. figure out which one outweighs each other and make a decision. Where I see a lot of people get overwhelmed and frustrated is when they're caught in indecision, and that's where I always get in trouble. I make bad decisions and indecision and or which is a no decision and or a bad decision. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's more of like my, we're very quick in making decisions once we've identified what we're going after, what we need or want. And then we make the decision based off of the data. Mm-hmm. So that's where I always talk about data, not drama. Mm-hmm. And data, not drama in, in terms of does that just means going off of what the actual numbers are versus emotion? Well, I mean, and I'm talking in everything, not just data and numbers. I'm also talking in life decisions, business decisions, house decisions, marketing decisions, hiring, firing decisions. So to me, I'm more using it as more of a gauge for pretty much everything I do in life, honestly. Mm -hmm. I'm like, great, what's the data? 
well, blah, 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 you know, because everyone has a story and they want to talk about the, why it won't work as opposed to why it will. Yeah. Are you, <laughs> what's your take on the, on the whole discussion around money loves speed and speed loves money and all that fun stuff? What, what, what's your, what's your take on, on that discussion? I, I mean, I've made a lot of money being fast. I've also mm-hmm. lost a lot of money being fast. Mm-hmm. Um, the key is make your, your, your fast moves more profitable than your fast bad moves. Um, you know, I, listen, I think everyone has a different, you know, decision-making process. I don't know. I don't, maybe it's the circle I've created for myself, but all my guys I hang out with and gals are very quick decision-making people in general. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm very loose with, you know, I'm very spontaneous um, just because I kind of like the excitement, um, traveling, you know, whatever. So I, I think money does love speed. In my business, if you're not fast to the deal, someone else is going to get it before you. Mm-hmm. And so, in in the in the area of real estate, are you a proponent of leverage? How, what what's your take on leveraging other people's money, whether it's a bank or uh, you know a private investor? Well, I mean, I, I I think leverage is great, but it also works both ways, right? Good leverage and bad leverage. Um, when it goes south, you know, I, I'm I. I I'm a private lender as well for my personal stuff and also a lot of guys I lend money to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm, I'm all about leverage if it's done properly. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times leverage, you know, it depends if you're at 50% on the dollar or if you're at 125% on the dollar, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So leverage are some variables in that first, you know, the first conversation of that, co- that piece. Um, but for me, I like to be at 50 to 60 cents on the dollar mm-hmm. um, where if I do get caught on the other side, which I've only, it's ever only ever happened twice. And the guy actually deeded the properties back to me and I made a lot more money. <clears throat> but my intention is I don't want the property back. I always want them to succeed because mm-hmm. they keep all money. Um, but leverage is, listen, I, I think, you know, one thing I've discovered, I've sold thousands and thousands of houses is just because it's a good investment for me doesn't mean it's a good investment for someone else. Because there's decisions that have to happen when you own assets that produce cash flow and you have tenants in them, right? Mm-hmm. And you're dealing with managers and they're like, hey, hot water tank's broke. You want to make, and some people don't make a decision and they get really upset when the tenant moves out and now they have a house sitting vacant, you know? So that if you have a leverage position on that, 500 a month or 1,000 a month or whatever, and the tenant moves out and you're on your last dollar, like you become a very motivated seller. Yeah. That probably brings it back to why you like to base everything on data too. You don't yes. get caught up in the emotions as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me let me ask you this, Mark. It seems like you got all your stuff together. I mean, business is good. You've got two eight-figure plus businesses. What 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 do you still struggle with, man? What 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 are your fears? What what concerns you? What kind of keeps you up sure. at night? Well, I mean, health, right? I want to, I'm 40 years old and probably half my life is gone. You know, what keeps me up at night is I want to be healthier. You know, I'm focusing on blood work and working out and, you know, doing stuff I didn't do when I was 20 because I thought I'd live forever. Mm-hmm. Now, I, now I'm very conscious of it. You know, I have a three and a half year old, a new one on the way. Um, I want to be a, I want to be the best dad, best husband, best person to myself. Um, so what keeps me up is, you know, technology, I'm scared to, truth is, I, you know, and I actually have a mentor on this right now I'm working on, but I'm afraid to raise my son around a lot of money. We have a lot of cool houses, a lot of cool cars, and we take cool trips. And I don't want him to think that's normal. It's mm. normal to us because we work really hard to do it. But it's, you know, we're very blessed in many ways. So I want to, I want, I just want to raise a very respectful kid, kids, I should say. Yeah. So it's like a big deal to me. So I'm really working hard on, you know, verbiage and, you know, how we say it, what we say, why we're doing it. So every Sunday we sit down, we have goal session, you know, even though he's three and a half, he's sitting there watching my wife and I 
talk about where we're at, what we're going to give away to charities and, you know, how we're doing. What, what do you want more of? It's not always materialistic things, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to be tight this week on working out. I want to go every day for an hour or this or that. So that's my biggest, biggest fear is raising a brat, <laughs> a spoiled brat. Sure. So in a real way, and I'm not joking, that's like my biggest, big, my parents did a really, really good job with me. You know, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. You know, stand up, shake someone's hand, look them in the eye. Like to me, that stuff's like very important. Yeah. And I mean, and it's a real challenge. I mean, it's a double edged sword, right? Because sure. from the standpoint of what drove you was to not have to have those fights around money and not to have to have that as a consistent topic of conversation between you and your mm-hmm. significant other, because that's how you were raised. You saw that. And I'm sure that you vowed, hey, this is not going to be an issue for me. I'm going to work until that's not an issue and I'm going to be a success. So that is not an issue. But now that you have that success, now it goes the other way, (laughs) which is now your kid's not going to see it. And so I can I can really see how that's, you know, uh, an issue for you, which is why we just make our kids sleep outside. We got a great house. We just make them sleep outside. Um, (laughs) But uh, but no, but seriously, I can I can see how that would be a struggle. That's got to be a pretty interesting dance. But, you know, to that end, as far as lifestyle goes, uh, I have to admit that I've seen you smoke the, the cigar or two there. Was that was that you featured on Cigar Aficionado on the cover? Uh, yeah, that was kind of like a thing a buddy of mine had done ah, for me. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But, you know, again, everyone thinks I smoke 10 cigars a day. I, the truth is I might smoke one a week, mm-hmm. you know, if mm-hmm. that. And it's usually more entertaining as, like, you know, if I'm golfing or whatever. Yeah. But um, it's become a big thing. Like, people send me boxes of cigars that I don't even smoke, so it's yeah. kind of funny. Yeah, it's funny. I've got a... Uh... I've got the first issue of Cigar Aficionado sitting in uh, in my, oh, wow. my drawer. I've known Marvin Shankin for about thirty years now. That's and, cool. Uh, yeah, we go way because I, I I don't know if you know this or not, but I actually have been involved with Liquor dot com for the better part of uh, yeah. geez, I don't even know how long it's been, but a long time. Anyway, so I've just knew Marvin from the liquor business. So I thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> um, but cool. from from a lifestyle perspective, do you have a sense of how much is enough right now? Like to be able to live that? Because you call yourself, I mean, you know, DM Mark Evans DM dot com deal maker. Uh, sure. And then some of your friends and I'll call you Mark Evans DN, like Nancy, for the digital nomad, right? To be able to live in various places and you know do what you want to do. Do you have a sense of how much is enough for you? Like for you to have the lifestyle that you have, how much money are we talking about on a on a monthly basis? Like what what what's that threshold? What's that bar for you that you've set? I mean, I think if anybody's netting after taxes and everything, fifty to hundred grand a month. You know, I think that we're, you know, the kind of lifestyles we live, I mean, again, I have a pretty cool, I have some really nice houses and cars, like, yeah. so I, I mean, for me, but again, I mean, it, it depends on how extravagant or crazy you want to be. Sure. Some, some quarters, I don't want to leave the house and spend any money. Some days I want to wake up and take a jet somewhere and spend $50,000 on a three hour flight, mm-hmm. you know, so I, and it might be more of a, but I'm more looking for experience stuff. I want to take my dad, my uncles, we're going to be on a, you know, we're going to go to the Super Bowl or something like that. So sure. it's, to me, like, I like doing that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think in a world, if you can make several couple, you know, a couple million dollars a year net, um, it's, it's, I mean, what else do you need? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've often said that, you know, if 5 million in the bank, in the bank at 5% annually, right, mm-hmm. 250K a year just on juice, just interest, if you can't live off of, 20 odd grand a month 
you got issues that should probably be addressed on a couch somewhere. Just, just, just a hunch, but maybe your number's a little uh, bigger than, than, than mine is, but there you go. So (laughs) let's, um, so let's do this here. I I just want to make sure that we cover the, the, uh, the other business here in terms of the online media space. What, what kind of propelled you into that world? Why did you decide to start that business? Yeah. Interesting story. So that's actually how I built my real estate company is through growing my buyers list through email media. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Hey, do you want to own real estate assets? Click here and fill out a form. Let's talk kind of thing. Um, same thing. Everyone, you know, online, a lot of people get. Sure. So I, I was spending six figures a month doing that um, through a buddy of mine. He owns a company doing the same thing. And we were in Montauk hanging out for a week. And he's like, why don't you start your own company and generate another passive income stream and this and that. And the same business. It took me a year because I'm kind of hard headed, and I really, I, I, my, my biggest thing is staying focused. So I, I didn't, I looked at it as a distraction at that time. Um, and then a year later, we're in Montauk doing the same thing, and uh, he said it, and I, it just clicked, and it was just perfect timing. And a guy I knew was kind of could be the COO because I'm always looking for the who to do the how because uh, I don't know how to do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I figured that out because it cost me a lot of money trying to figure stuff out that I shouldn't be figuring out anyways. But I, I figured out who to hire, put the right people on the team quickly. And that company in August will be four years old. But it's a, it's a very inter- – I mean, it helped me grow my real estate company bigger. Um, it created a cash flow stream, and there's some really neat things I didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. Um, as we started building it out, you know, it's a pretty neat business. So obviously it sounds like there's some synergies there. But take us back then to getting this started. So you met up with someone who you thought <coughs> might be a good partner – on this yeah. business and then what what exactly is the revenue model on cash flow lead gen like uh, how do you guys make money and and uh, sure. what exactly does it do i know you said you know there's newsletters and financial newsletters and you know email marketing and content and this that and the other but was that it, it, was that the plan going in yeah 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 exactly i mean it's a very crystal clear model it, it's one of those niches inside of a niche right anybody has a company there's always like these sub niches that exist that have a lot of money to be made if you actually know what's going on um, so it, it, what we do is say if we have 150,000 people in an email newsletter there's companies that will come to us and pay a fee to send out their content in front of our viewership so we send out content every day and then they're like hey throw a sponsor in right kind of like if you go to a website there's 10,000 ads on there already there's people paying for that environment um, instead, instead of us doing on our websites, we're actually doing it in via email. Hmm. So, I'm, so go ahead. I, mean you, yeah. I mean, you kind of do that with liquor.com. Yeah. Right. People are paying you to email your, but where list. does the 12 mil a year come from? That's what I'm trying to figure out, Mark. That's it. <laughs> Just CPA, people paying to get in front pay, of oh, paying CPA. For email drop. Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of online assets now. It's not just one list. We have mul- we have many, many assets now online, mm-hmm. um, that produce monthly revenue, you know, daily revenue from CPAs, which is a cost per action. So, you know, you're like, hey, Mark, you know, here's a product I have. I'll pay $200 for every sell. We put that in front of our clients. You know, it makes money. Um, CP, you know, CPLs cost really, you might just pay us $5 an opt-in or whatever. I'm making this up. And then, um, or just pay for drops. So we have, we have six different, you know, pillars in our business that produce revenue for us. So we've never had anyone on the show that's ever just done it by themselves. They've all had a team. And I like that phrase you just said when you wanted to hire someone who to do the how. You had to find mm-hmm. someone who to do the how. So there's, the, I take it you're the visionary and then that person's the implementer. Um, 
what do you recommend for people to find that person? Just talk to a lot of people. I actually met this guy 15 years ago in a mastermind group. Um, good guy, always was stand up, did what he said he was going to do, you know, just as a buddy, like we just became friends and it was just a perfect, it was just one of those things like just being in the right place at the right time, asking the right questions. Um, I had no clue he wanted to do it. I didn't think he wanted to do it cause he actually has a pretty big company himself already. And he was honestly, he was just kind of like, Hey, I got plenty of time. I want to help you. Um, so he became like the implementer. We actually ended up hiring an implementer since then to do that why him and I can actually grow the business even bigger. Um, but yeah, it's, I think just talk to a lot of people, join a lot of groups with a lot of great people that are paying to be there. And my experience that's I've always found great people in those kind of rooms. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So the six pillars of revenue, uh, I mean, I would think all of this based on what I'm hearing here, all of this revolves around having enough people on a list, enough, uh, you know, enough targeted leads, if you will, for mm-hmm. you to be able to monetize to the tune of 12 million bucks. How many people are on the various lists now? And what are the six pillars of revenue? Oh, I mean, we have millions of people, right? Millions so, of people. Okay. Yeah, millions. I, I mean, I don't even know. I mean, you know, to put this in perspective, keep in mind, we're, we're spending three to 500000 a month in ourselves just to advertise to generate new leads every day too, right? Is that through Facebook or like what? How now, are you generating most of your leads? Email marketing, right? So we there's lists everywhere. There's all kinds of lists. I mean, liquor.com, I'm, I'm sure you guys have people that want to pay for sponsorships or sure. drop to your group. Um, and the, these are every... It, you know, it's, it's newfound revenue. Anybody here listening that has, you know, an email database list with a following could definitely turn it into a very big profit stream if they wanted to. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, we have millions of people at this point. Um, but mostly like, you know, Google, um, you know, content ad sites, um, email, email is the best for us. We buy a lot, a lot of email drops cause it's mm-hmm. like our direct clientele that we want people that are opening emails and clicking emails. Absolutely. And if they open and click and opt in from email, we know they're doing that. So you're renting lists, so to speak. I, I mean, that's, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So kind of renting list has a weird stigma to right, it. Like it's right. almost like, Oh, you t- you're, you're spamming my list. It's like, no, we're not renting lists. We're renting an email drop to your list. <laughs> yeah. I got you. You know, so yeah, the information is not shared with us unless you opt in. And, and I don't want to, miss out on this because I think there are a lot of people with lists here who are not fully optimizing the value of that list, liquor.com included. So six pillars, CPA, CPL, I would think would be two of them. Yeah. CPA, CPL, definitely, you know, sponsorship stuff where, you know, say if liquor.com, for example, you might not want to have like someone own the whole debt. It's called dedicated email where they own the whole email. You might put one or two people in the email, but more of like a one liner, like get your, get your favorite koozie or, you know, whatever. Yep. And they click there, boom, that would be a sponsorship. So those are sponsorship ads. Uh, dedicated would be a full dedicated email specifically for whatever that person's paying you for, mm-hmm. of course, upon approval. And then you have website traffic, right? You have, you have the website where you can drive people to your website and people are opening and clicking. Um, and then, you know, also uh, notifi- push notification revenue. So push. Uh, do you guys use push notification on Liquor.com? Uh, with Liquor.com, I, I don't, don't think, think we either. got. So is that like ManyChat or one of those? Is that? No, um, no it's Oh, the, push. Um, you have it on push. your site. We, you I have it on my site. Push. Uh, whatever the hell the name of that company is. I have it on mine personal. I don't push think we have it on something. something like that. Yeah. yeah. God, that's so interesting. I mean, twelve million a year, and those are the six buckets. We're small, and, and guys, I, I mean, we'll we'll be we'll be over thirty million a year next year. But by, by Mid 2020, we definitely are hitting a whole nother level. So it's really a ramp up thing. We've kind of 
you know, been really chugging along, getting the right people. You know, we have a lot of great people, but putting them, rearranging them on the bus mm-hmm. and uh, really getting them to buy into the next level of the vision. Because there's a little bit of constraints for a moment there, just like, where do we buy all this traffic? It doesn't exist. And then once you discover it exists, you're like, oh, well, we can do that easy. Right. <laughs> and where uh, the team to do 12 million, how many on the team to do 35 in the real estate? How many on that team? Uh, so real estate's an interesting thing because a lot of it's, you know, higher, it's 1099 people. Sure. Um, so I think in the office, I think there's like in the real estate, not 12 people, maybe 12 wow. ish, uh, but ever, like very heavy 1099, very, yeah. very, very big 1099 group. Yeah. Um, on the list side, you know, our biggest constraints on that side would be deployment and, uh, tech. Um, so I think we have 16, 14 people there plus a couple, um, big broker guys that actually broker our list as well for companies. So do you do you have a sense of what that metric is in terms of what you like to be at per employee? Because that's a phenomenal number. I mean, if you're around eight hundred under eight hundred k per employee, I mean, that's insane. Yeah, you're just talking to a hobilly kid that just <laughs> <laughs> Come on, honestly, man. man I, I, so I used to do all. I had CFOs that do all that stuff, and I'm like this, I, I'm clogging up my head with like data. I don't know if I know what it even means. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it, it's it's a good business. It's a, I, I'm all about cash flow and net profit. So. It runs a really good profit number, and um, it's a great cash flow generator for for what we're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, the nice thing about that model is when you come right down to it, you don't really have to scale the number of employees to keep pace with the increase in revenue because you're exactly. just sim- because you're just simply increasing the costs CPM wise. In other words, if somebody does a for those who don't follow this, so in other words, if he's got a million people on his email list and he charges ten dollars per thousand people he can still charge ten dollars per thousand but if he's now got two million people on the email list and he's just doubled what he gets for that you know for that mailing so it's it's a pretty interesting model from a scalability standpoint because you don't have to keep pace with the unequal number of employees yeah and that's honestly guys that's why i really love that business because real estate's Mm. the total opposite real estate's very very cash intensive and Crazy. for every X amount of deals, you got to hire someone else because there's a lot of moving pieces. You can only handle so much. Yeah. Uh, like you said, exactly. You know, on your side, Steve, it's just. Yeah. Let's talk about the exit, man. So, you know, you're going to get from whatever to 20, 30 million. It doesn't sound like an exit is on the horizon and on for either of these businesses. No, I mean, well, the real estate company, it's going to be my baby forever because I have a lot of assets myself still. Right. So I, I got to te- keep my team in place there somehow. Um, cause I have a lot of real estate there. Um, it's good for cash flow businesses. There's a lot of good write-offs over there, but, um, you know, I, I've built, I've had the teams built real estate, you know, doesn't really sell for massive, you know, 10 X rev or whatever. Um, but I've, I'm, I've have the, I'm building them to sell with that in mind, but probably would never sell unless I have to, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I really love the people on the team at this point in my life. Like I said, I, the truth is if I sold these, I don't know what else I would do. I love doing every day I wake up. I can't wait to wake up and do more. It's a good problem to have, man. So any last words of advice for the aspiring entrepreneur who's looking to start or for the existing entrepreneur who's looking to scale or exit? Yeah. Stop trying to do everything yourself. Invest in your brain. I see a lot of people out there not investing in masterminds, mentors, listening to great shows like this is huge. I mean, mean, guys, it's never been easier to get the information I'm at your fingertips, and that's almost kind of a problem in itself because it's too readily available, powerful information. And if you have a lit, you know, you're valuable. You just got to find your value proposition in the world and, you know, go all in. Yeah, man. 
Best place for folks to connect with you, find out more information. Where do you want them to go? Yeah, markevansdm.com. Yeah. And Instagram's big for me, too. I, you know, it's amazing technology. I'm not that good with it, but Instagram's a really cool place. I, I do a lot of videos there, a lot of, you know, content daily. Mm-hmm. Um, it's real, it's, it's, you know, 24-hour content, so it's pretty powerful. All right, my man. I'd like to say that you're busy and really, really, really appreciate you carving out the time, but we know that you're not busy at all. So thanks for just giving us an hour. Exactly. (laughs) Go play with your kid. Enjoy the new one. And uh, and we wish you the best here, man, obviously in 2019 and uh, and beyond. Mark Evans, markevansdm.com. Really do appreciate you joining us here today. All right, my man. Oh, so what have you done lately? Yeah, you know, it seems to be the theme at the end of all of these shows, right? It's just, just like smart people out there not overcomplicating it. Yeah. And, and and just a super interesting approach to looking at what is a very labor intensive business in terms of real estate mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and recognizing that there are opportunities to leverage that knowledge and that experience that he's built through real estate to help others in sort of those financial sectors, if you will, through the cash flow lead gen product, that business, mm-hmm. which is very complementary. Yeah, it to reminded what he's me doing. of like Roland, right? How you had the Roland, Roland Fraser, Fraser yeah, with sure. the complementary business. Like you have this other business that's helping feed and you're getting leads to another business as well, mm-hmm. but they're separate businesses. You could treat different assets, sell one, keep one, you know, it's yeah. And, and really impressive from an overhead standpoint. I, I, we didn't get into this question specifically, but my hunch is he hasn't taken any outside capital. Right. My hunch is they don't have a burn in terms of, you know, we're, we're burning through 200000 a month until we get to profitability. Like, you know, I get the feeling he's at profitability now. He's, in, he's operating in the black now. And it will continue to go that way without outside investors and, and so on. So really interesting approach. But uh, definitely gets me thinking about Liquor.com. I'll tell you what, you know, in terms of the under, um, let's just say we are not optimizing the assets that we currently have. You already know that. But we already know that. Yeah, exactly. A conversation for another day. Uh, Unless you want to send me a check and let's buy liquor.com together and we'll just take that damn thing over. So uh, hit me up and let's let's go from there, although that probably won't make my CEO happy. But, you know, live and learn. There you go. All right, my friends. Great checking with Mark today. Uh, Check out all of the past episodes at beyond8figures.com. For Mary Goulet and Richie Ote, I'm Steve Olsher. We'll talk to you guys really, really soon. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to Beyond 8 Figures. Share your thoughts on today's episode and what you'll apply to your business by emailing us at feedback at beyondafigures.com. And if you haven't already done so, we'd greatly appreciate it if you took a moment now to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Until next time, keep scaling.